My guest on today's episode is Juliet Willows, author of All Kinds of Happy Little Things and The Lady Phoenix. She also has a forthcoming novel that we discuss a little bit in the episode. It's just been a whirlwind here, people. And uh, if you're an author, you know there are times when there are whirlwinds. So I keep feeling like I'm running through the forest, getting smacked by branches, low-hanging. You know, there's little beads of blood on my face. No, you know, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is. I enjoy life, loving it. And it seems like I am coming down to the wire every single episode to get the monologue recorded and the editing done. So apologies to Juliet and anybody else. If you notice that this one feels a little rougher than some cuts, I don't think it is, but maybe if I had had more time to really contemplate, I could have tightened it up a smidge. Anyway, this is all off the top of my head. I've got a couple notes in the show notes for you if you want to pick up Juliet's books, explore her website. And if you are interested, I am running a really great deal on the first three novels of my Luke in Time mysteries. Do note that two of those will be pre-orders. The Eight Ball Magic of Susie Q comes out on June 12th of 2023, followed by the 24-7 of A Russian Named Ruskov, and that'll drop on the 8th of January 2024. You can get all three of them for just nine bucks if you follow the button at the bottom of the email in your inbox. And if you're not on my list already, why? You can subscribe. It's awesome. I bug you twice a week with new episodes. So you're guaranteed to feel like I am over-emailing you and you'll enjoy it. That's just how it works. I don't know why, but you'll love it and we'll all be happy. I like you. You like me. (laughs) We're one big happy family. (laughs) Please enjoy my conversation with Juliet Willows. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and spotlights were for bands. What chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Time rolls by mildly. Touch revolutions before massacres. Three really blind mice. You decide. I do. I remember hearing that. I can't remember who first said it, but somebody said the first time you get a one-star book review, you've made it. That kind of idea that like somebody outside of your world read the book and hated it badly enough that they had to like rage. That means you're getting outside of your, your, your so-called click. Don't get me wrong. It still feels horrible, but it's. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So let's dive into storytelling format. Um, one last thing I'll, I'll delete out of here, but did you get a chance to listen to either Chris or Heather to have kind of a sense of the different ways that this can go? If you didn't, I don't ever expect you to I listen. listen but... to, I'll listen to Heather's. I haven't okay. heard Chris's yet. No worries. So Heather's is one way that it can go. Uh, Chris's was a little bit different. He really like dove into some atmospheric storytelling and you can do that. Whatever feels comfortable to you. I'm going to try to make way for your style and adapt to however you want to tell the story. Um, if I interrupt, uh, it's it's just to have a little bit of fun. I might I might complicate the story if I if you're telling it and I see a really great opportunity to to make something complex, I might do that. I might not. Like you said, you're nervous, so um, I'm extremely nervous, and I've yeah. never done like a um, an ad lib story tell an ad lib story or like yeah, you know, <laughs> off the t- off the cuff. Yeah, 
Yep. Well, the good news is, is we can cut the first 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 40 minutes. Not really. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to keep you that long, but uh, every single one of these, and Heather would tell you this too, has ended up, I'm cutting kind of the beginning of the conversation because it takes people a little while to start feeling comfortable in the format. So don't, don't uh, stress at all. If you feel like you make a false start um, without further ado, uh, the setup is, and I, I will find the exact tweet, but the setup is, uh, you are trapped in your car or in your sister's car. She's murdered you, but nobody knows about it. And you can't, your, your soul cannot migrate to wherever it goes next until you found justice for your situation. Um, so with that, go ahead and start the story and, and we'll see how this one develops. All right. Um, I think the first thing that I would feel as I woke up there or woke up dead. Um, <laughs> I would go through this this kind of um, range of emotions, probably starting with, you know, denial. Can I mm. really be dead? Can this be happening? Did she really do this to me? Anger, um, sadness. But then being who I am and believing deeply in the supernatural and always have wanted to haunt somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I would probably just go all out. I would, um, okay, so let's do this. Her favorite movie, I don't have a sister, but for the the sake of the story, her favorite movie is Ghost. Ah. Patrick Swayze, Demi, Demi Moore. Yes. Um, so I'm going to start by locking all the windows and doors so she can't, you know, open it. She sees the locks go down Mm. and doesn't know what's going on. And then I'll play with the radio, turning the station, um, play with the, the gear shifts as she's driving, pull her over, you know, make her scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a perfect, a perfect setup, too. So it's similar to the interview I did with Heather O'Brien. Um, there have to be rules around ghosts. And since most of us have never experienced ghosts, uh what what do you see as the rules? How how are you limited? Are you able to uh, embody somebody, possess somebody? Are you? Yeah, I mean, t- talk to me about how you see your limitations now as a ghost. Okay, so I don't think I can embody or possess anybody, but I can definitely control the, uh, I guess, the energy around me. Um, touch things like poltergeist activity, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I can make things move. I can. Um, use what's at my disposal to make things happen. Like I said, the radio, yeah. um, turn the knob, change a channel, um, do things with a car because it's not a person, but like inanimate objects, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, yes. But I cannot like physically go into her body and. Okay. Can you, can, can you, if you can like do locks, can you manipulate her body in any way? Or is if like, if it's a living thing, are you then like restricted from manipulating it? Yeah. I think it's, it has to be an inanimate, oh my gosh, an inanimate inanimate object. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, all right. So only those, <laughs> those objects, I'm not even going to try to touch that word. Um, and so only if it's not living. Yes. Um, all right. And 
if she attempts to, so you've like pulled over the car, you've done these kind of things. If she attempts to get out of the car, uh, do you allow her out of the car? Or is this going to be kind of uh, like a 12 angry men situation where the entire story is going to be resolved inside the car? Nobody's getting yeah, out. I think yes. it's all going to be inside the car. I'm going to uh, let her unlock it, but immediately mm-hmm. lock it back again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you can play with the air conditioning or the heater. So you can make her environment Absolutely. really miserable uh, and you know you know like in the movie where they're in the scene um in the office and he starts typing sam 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 on the keyboard mm. on the computer mm-hmm. i might do something similar with her phone you know Ooh, start, I like that start texting my name over and over and over again <laughs> yeah i like that so here is uh, it, this is a really difficult story to tell the way that you're going to do it and i think it's a really rewarding one i'm trying to think so like apollo 13 has a similarly claustrophobic setup they're all on obviously a, a, a spaceship and they're not going to be able to walk on the moon and so all of the drama has to happen between was it four men or three kevin bacon tom hanks that's four, right? I can't think of the other two. Um, Honestly, I haven't watched it. Oh, you've oh wow, it's a great film. Anything, <laughs> anything with Tom Hanks, I'm kind of a sucker for. Um, not anything, but almost anything. Uh, nevertheless, he, they're stuck in a spaceship, and so all of the drama has to happen there. There's another movie I was thinking of that's kind of similar. There's Red Eye with uh, Rachel McAdams. Not seen that one. Okay, so they're I'm basically assuming in, they're stuck in on the plane, plane in their seats the whole time. Oh wow! Oh man, do they not like get off their seats at all? I don't think they do. That's wild. Okay. All right. So we've got three three films. Um, also, just as a, a passing curiosity, I wonder this about myself as well, because um, I've read well in excess of 1,500 books at this point. Why do I always think first of films when I'm doing comps? Uh, I'm assuming that's not rare. Do you find that's true for you as well, that, that as you're telling stories, like for whatever reason, film kind of is the first place you go? I think so. Um... I think because probably it's a visual mm-hmm. versus <clears throat> I think it's easier to remember a visual than it is to remember words on a page. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you digest the story differently. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my inclination would be to say that that somehow invalidates the whole writing process. If we're, if we're thinking in films to kind of like orient ourselves. However, I don't know about you, but I don't see my stories when I write them anyways. And I I prefer ultimately the feeling of being pulled into a story, even though it doesn't have visuals when I read it on a page. Is that similar for you or? Similar, but uh, I don't know if it's just the way my my brain works. But when I'm reading a story, I do have the visuals in Mm, my own head. You do. Okay. Um, And when I'm writing it as well. I know they say, like a lot of people will say, oh, your characters aren't real. Your settings aren't real. Mm-hmm. To me, they are. To me, yeah. they're telling the story. Half the time, like I'm not a planner. I, I don't plot my books. I don't outline my books. I am I fly by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they're telling the story. I have a general idea of where I'm going with it yeah. and where I kind of want to end up. But so I see this whole movie playing out in my head as I'm writing it. Hmm. Or as I'm reading it, if I'm reading somebody else's book, I see yeah. this movie in my head. Can you see faces? Like, do you actually, do you associate a, a, a actual face with a character when you are reading a book? I do. I do. And and a lot wow. of the times it's not even a real person like that I've right. seen. It's not an actor or somebody that I know. I just, hmm. this face pops up in my head. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird, but I get this visual of, of what I think this person looks like and, Mm-hmm. they become real to me. 
Yeah. I don't think, I, certainly you're not weird. I don't know how common it is. It's a question I think I should start asking more more storytellers because uh, for me, I cannot see faces. The only way that I start to see faces is if a film is made of the movie, in which case forever after, anytime I reread a book or encounter that story in any way, or if there's an, a, a sequel, then that person then is the character and I can visualize them in the story and embody them a lot more. But if it's something that's never been made into a film, I literally can only go so far as to have kind of like still frames or, or moods. Um, and if I ever see a person animated in any way, they're just no face at all. Like it's like a, it's like a horror film. <laughs> it's not scary of course, but I just can't, I can't visualize faces. Yeah. I think it, it's kind of interesting the way we, we perceive things and how different differently we perceive things yeah so we're in the car and your sister's attempted to get out she's very clear that somebody's messing with her you've used her phone to text her name um as of yet she doesn't necessarily know it's you i bet she has a pretty good uh suspicion that it's probably you what kind of things do you do to heighten her fear and i think importantly how how do you approach some sort of like conversion for her because scaring her will only take you so far. You almost have to create this uh, catharsis or an emotional response to make her feel badly about what she's refused to feel badly about so far. What does that process look like for you? Um, to make her feel badly, I would probably again, use her technology and replay videos and pictures of the two of us growing up. And, um, you know, being friends and, and making her remember the good times and wonder in her, her own mind, like, why would I want to kill my sister? Why would I want to have her killed if she mm. didn't do it herself? And kind of like put that guilt in her. Yeah. Here's an, an interesting twist that just popped right into my head as soon as you started down <laughs> oh. that journey. You are not innocent. You're not <clears throat> innocent of this whole thing. You did something that really hurt and alienated her and drove her to an emotional place where she made a bad decision. Interesting. Now you're really throwing me for a care. I love it. <laughs> um, what did I do? What did you do? What did I do? <laughs> it's time to confess. It's time to <laughs> confess to the whole world. <laughs> oh, gosh. Maybe maybe she walked in on her husband and I. Ugh, the classic, the awful, yeah. the horrible. Maybe okay. she's my twin sister. Oh, And my I goodness. tricked the husband because we're identical. Ugh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're digging into some good psychology here because <laughs> now, now you're, you've done, you've done something really bad. I, I think on the scale, everybody agrees that murder is worse than infidelity, but uh, willful infidelity like that's really dark you've got you've got some some ghosts of your own <laughs> got some demons <laughs> some skeletons in that closet yeah exactly <laughs> all right let's explore it what uh what interested you about your twin sister's uh husband i think maybe she did something similar to me in college maybe i had a ah. crush on somebody and she knew but she actively pursued them okay Okay. So it's not, in this case, it's not exactly uh, interest in the spouse. It's interest in revenge. So there's, yeah, there's these, these moments, yeah, these <laughs> moments where you're, you're both uh, really close. And then there are moments where you've 
willfully tricked each other and used what a lot of people consider to be an amazing benefit, like the the psychic connection of twins. Uh, you've misused it against each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scary. I'm glad I don't have a twin right now. <laughs> that I don't you have any of. siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I have a um, biological sister who's six years older than me. Um, and she's four foot two and I'm six foot five. I don't know. She's actually not quite four foot two. She's, she's five, five feet something, but barely, um, she's really small and has lived such a different life. Like we we couldn't be less twins if I tried. (laughs) I'm sure there's been some moments though, some sibling rivalry. We, you know, I'll say, I don't think her and I have ever had sibling rivalry. We had the opportunity, um, and I, I use that word sincerely. We had the opportunity to be best friends, um, because my, my dad and my mom hated each other, uh, and got divorced when we were young. And that hatred, I think, caused my sister and I to bond kind of us against them as opposed to um, the rivalry. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I did, unfortunately, she moved out to Omaha when I was still pretty young to live with my grandparents because it was just not like a really good uh, home environment. And so I didn't, I kind of lost connection with her and I've never really gained it back, but I I have those memories of like really close friendship with her when I was probably all the way up until maybe eight or nine years old. So yes, good, 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 good memories. She's, uh, she lives pretty nearby now, but we don't see each other as often as we we could. I'm curious, and we'll dive back into the story again. I'm kind of curious, what is it like to be an only child? What's your experience? You obviously can't compare it to something you've never known, but um, was it lonely? Was it enriching? What was your experience like? Maybe a little bit of both. See, I grew up um, with a single mother Okay. Um, on social assistance and... Huh? Yeah, had nothing. There was never any excess of anything. Mm. Um, the opportunities. We lived in a little village of maybe about a thousand people. Oh, wow. And that was pushing. There was nothing there. No entertainment. No nothing. I mean, we were outside mm-hmm. playing. That's just what we did. Mm. Um, there was never any extra. Uh, I can remember weeks going, eating plain pasta because there was just, oh, wow. there was no money. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... I really learned to use my imagination from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have my close friends, <clears throat> pardon me, um, who we we hung out with. Um, but for the most part, it was just, it was me and my, <laughs> the yeah. friends in my mind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that probably developed um, this creative side of myself from, mm-hmm. an, from an early age. Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that in small ways and bigger ways. Yeah, that feeling of um, not having someone who's like you does, I think, push you toward creating imaginary friends. So uh, with you were talking about it earlier that you see like kind of the film of the stories that you write. Was that true? I mean, were your imaginary friends like kind of real in that way to you? Um, so I was told I was I had one imaginary friend, like mm-hmm. a real imaginary friend. Yeah. But I was young enough that I don't actually remember okay. that one. My, I just remember from my mom telling me the stories. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's, I'm going to say it because I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. I just yeah. called it un. I don't know what un oh, wow. means. Okay. Um, <laughs> we were French. So my mom thought I was mispronouncing clown, which in French oh. is un. Okay. Um, but when she said that, I said, no, it wasn't. So maybe it was, maybe it was an, an actual imaginary friend. Maybe it was yeah. some spirit that i was seeing i don't know um but it it must have been real to me yeah that's funny my oldest son uh when he was 
I think right, right around the age of two, like uh, he stopped doing it after that. But he said, Coca Vetch, Coca Vetch. <laughs> and we tried so hard to figure out what it meant. Uh, and we could never figure it out. Like we would ask him, is it this? Does it mean like take a picture? Does it mean smile for the camera? Because he often did it for, like surrounding a moment when our phone was out. We don't know to this day what it was. I love those things, like the mysteries that are never resolved. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay. Back to, uh, back to our car. (laughs) So we have, we have like a, a, a domino effect of moments where the earliest occasion is your sister mm, stepped into your life, pretended to be you to get at your, at the time, boyfriend. And then so, there's a little bit of back and forth. There's a little bit of a history. You've already kind of established using her phone as a ghost to show her these uh, pictures and videos that are forever memorialized online. Um, and so she she's remembering the friendship. She's remembering the betrayals. She's remembering the, the revenge. She's not ready to break and confess to your murder yet. I wonder why. She's probably terrified. <laughs> That's the obvious answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And she's also um, she's also still in love with her husband. Obviously, he didn't know that it was somebody else that he was mm-hmm. sleeping with, mm-hmm. and she's covering for him because he also had a hand in it. As she walked in, obviously, he realized, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is not my wife." Wow. And oh. they together killed me. Yeah, a, a and crime she of passion. Want him obviously to get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I really enjoy about this, as much as it's like a a, a hideous uh, bunch of hideous behaviors that lead up to this <laughs> moment. Um, when it all comes down to it, you're sympathetic toward everybody in the story. You've done a really, really good job of setting up the story so that I feel uh, sympathetically toward everybody. I couldn't imagine thinking that I was with my wife and finding out that it was her her twin <laughs> sister. That would be uh terror i can't i mean like that would be real horror exactly and i mean how would you react to that like mm-hmm. in the moment how do you yeah. are you just mortified are you angry enough to kill somebody like yeah you don't know yeah i think it's funny when people say that they um they just don't have it in them to commit murder they're like i could never i could never do that i'm thinking i think we all have it in us to absolutely. some degree absolutely in the absolutely. right circumstances and pushing the right buttons i think we could all go that dark. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm, I'm almost finished with a book called influence by Robert Caldini. I might be mispronouncing his name. Um, and he discusses different scenarios. Like he, he discusses, uh, <laughs> the cults, um, at one point and how people are brought into cults and what, what it takes to, to become so loyal that you would drink poison, um, to die with your cult or the ways that you justify your behaviors, and I think throughout the book, he continues to say it's it's not ever an individual person. You're not unstable. You're not a prime candidate for this kind of a situation. Your own programming is used against you in a certain way that you behave like you should, but in the wrong situation. And I think that that's interesting. This He gave this example that it was fascinating me and continues to pop into my mind of, and I can't remember the bird, but there's a bird that you could use its primary predator and, and program a sound out of the primary predator that sounded like the cry of the bird's babies. And despite the fact that the bird could clearly see that this object looked like it's, uh, it's predator. If the sound was the baby, the bird went straight to the object 
In other words, like if you, if you're a good enough mimic, it overrides your, oh, that's my predator visual because you hear your baby and you're like, I go to baby, I feed baby. Um, that's what's happening here in a way is, is like you're overriding everybody's programming in the story so that they're behaving in ways that are appropriate in the wrong situation. <laughs> the need for love, um, the need for revenge, um, all of those things. Anyways, carry on. Sorry. I, I totally hijacked that moment, but um, no, no, that's fine. Was there a different question? Cause I think we answered that one. We did answer that one. I'm kind I'm curious for you to flesh out the moment. Um, it sounds to me like the, the murder happens right then. It's a crime of passion, but yes. let's walk forward from, from there to maybe the cover up and how's the murder committed? Is it because you said he had a hand in it. So I'm interested how, like, is he actually the one who commits the murder? I can't think that that's the case. Anyways, I'll let you tell it. It's your story. Um, I think it's kind of both. Okay, so we're going back to the bedroom. Um, she she walks in. My sister walks in. Everything explodes, obviously. Um, he starts to strangle me. She pulls him off saying, no, 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 you can't do this. You don't kill her. You know, we'll get her, you know, arrested. I don't know. You can't arrest somebody for cheating, but... We'll get her back. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. And then maybe I mouth off. I start screaming about how she did it to me first, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then get her angry enough so that she then maybe takes a lamp and like smashes it over my head. Mm. So I'm now dead in their bed. <laughs> it was Miss. So, it was Mrs. Scarlet in the bedroom with the, <laughs> with the, the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so now... They need to get rid of me because nobody wants to go to jail. They're both mm -hmm. terrified. They're panicking. So I'm wrapped up in their bedsheet in the trunk of her car mm. as she's trying to get me to like a cliff or something. Yeah. And this wow. is where we are. We're in the car. But yes, we're in the car. My body's in the trunk. I'm okay. in the passenger seat. <laughs> so so what I... Um, yeah, this is interesting. Okay, there's there's this part of me that thinks somehow or another she's thwarted from disposing of you. And so you're in the trunk and the car is smelling bad because of your natural decomposition and she can't she can't get rid of you and now she can't get rid of your ghost either. So I feel like days have passed. Is that Let's let's run with that. I like this idea. I like that days have passed because there's like there's this uh, emotional connection to you that she's finding it difficult to dispose of your body. <laughs> when it's clearly the right thing and the only thing she can do oh, to save herself. Well. <laughs> okay, let's let's yeah. say that it's like August. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna be manipulating the air conditioning. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm gonna be cranking the heat. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Whew. Okay. But being in that same um, remorseful kind of um, state of mind now, because as I'm showing her the pictures, I'm also showing myself the pictures. Mm. And yeah, I now see, you know, the error of my own ways and how I've behaved. So using going back to using her technology, I'm going to text to her. Mm. I'm sorry. Just yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So now That's she absolutely knows That's that. The guarantee it's, it's you. Mm -hmm. Wow, we didn't we didn't start the story thinking that you were going to be the one who is going to apologize. <laughs> that's a big moment. That's a good reveal. I think that's really satisfying for anybody listening, or uh, if this story gets written for anybody reading. Still doesn't push her over the edge. No. Um, what next? She says, "I'm not." 
oh, 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 oh. and the knife comes out. <laughs> okay. All right. So she's she's not sorry. She's happy for what she did. Where does it go from there? Um, well, she was on her way to get rid of my body. I'm already dead. Mm-hmm. So I can't die again. So I either want her to turn herself in or she's going to be joining me. Ah, okay. Dark. She wants to throw me over the cliff. Maybe the whole whole car is going to go over the cliff. <clears throat> mm. So I give her the option, turn yourself in or we're all going over. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about right now, like the effect of the apology that I'm sorry, the I'm not, and, and kind of like right back at it. It rings incredibly true to me of experiences that I've had, uh, truces that I've made with people that um, are kind of like enemies. And if they move toward you after you initially humble yourself enough to move toward them, um, then everything is great. But if you move toward them and they don't reciprocate, yeah, that can create like another, another murder moment. So that's insane. And her only, because you can't manipulate her body, her only way to protect herself is to keep her foot on the brake pedal. So now you have her not willing to turn herself in, unable to escape the car. And her only uh, response is to, to press the brake pedal so that even if you hit the gas, um, it can't go anywhere. However, it can. Now the car can't go anywhere, but the story can. Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> what I'm thinking through. I'm wondering, I'm kind of curious because you have a finite time on this. And that's another really good thing for a story is that you, you guarantee that when the gas tank runs out, your biggest object is, is over unless you have, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm personally excited to see where you're taking this. Well, let's remember that it's August and it's hot outside and yes. she doesn't have the AC working for her and she can't roll down the windows. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what's, what happens when we leave pets in cars? Exactly. The cook. So I'm going to crank the heat mm-hmm. even more. And I'm going to maybe um, do something with the exhaust mm. so that it's <clears throat> recirculating inside the car instead of outside the car. Mm-hmm. So That's when she starts to, to smell it, it she starts feeling that difference, mm-hmm. you know, in her like lightheaded, lightheadedness. She might get, you know, a little bit more scared and think this is real i need to do something now or i'm dead Mm -hmm. too so the one thing that i think uh, she has to do in this situation because it's life or death is uh, use her elbow to break out a window um so i think that she's able to do that um and now that poses the ability for her to escape the car okay so she's out of the car now i don't know if she's out i'm saying she's possible yeah the one thing i see right here in in this setup, she has to because in a life or death situation, you will you will do cause self harm, like chewing off your 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 leg if you're a, <laughs> a you know animal in a trap or something like that. So she has to break the window. It doesn't mean that she has to get out of the car. It means you have to have the opportunity to persuade <clears throat> her emotionally to stay in the car. And I I would be really curious how you would pull that off. That seems like a big story moment. And it seems a really difficult one to, to, uh, it to come is. to. I mean, I could just keep manipulating things like her seatbelt can't come undone. Um, mm. Yeah. And it's impossible to like, you can't bite through a seatbelt. No, you can't. <laughs> um, but emotionally. You're right. I mean, if you see it going a different way, you don't necessarily have to emotionally. You could, you can go with the, the seatbelt. I'm trying to think. I've never attempted to escape uh, a belt of that kind before, but I'm assuming if it's locked, you're not going anywhere. No. 
Um, I'm thinking that she doesn't she doesn't want to give herself up. She doesn't want to die, right, but she I doesn't agree. want to give herself up. And she's she's adamant about it. Mm-hmm. So seeing that, you know, I'm not gonna have that that retribution that way. Mm-hmm. I know I'm gonna have to do it myself. And I I have this other moment of I really don't want to kill my sister as much as mm-hmm. she's killed me. Yes. I don't want to kill her. I want her, but I want her to suffer. Mm. So the fact that I have control of a car, um, she's now attempted to break through the glass. It's, mm. you know, her elbow is all bloody. The glass isn't broken per se enough to, for her to get out, but she's somewhat unconscious. Her foot comes off the brakes. Mm. So I'm I'm not going to drive the, the, the car off the cliff, though. I'm actually going to drive the car to the closest police station. They're going to yeah. smell me in the in the back. And see a broken window. And, and see a broken window. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And, and, and <laughs> I'm going to um, send a text message from her husband to her. Oh. Or no, sorry. I can't control her phone. Say, yeah. From her to her husband saying something along the lines of, um, uh, we didn't have to kill her. Um, you know, completely exposing herself so that when the police look at her phone, they have a confession right there. (laughs) Wow. That's intense. So you get, you get your justice. She's going to be, she's going to be arrested. She's implicated in the murder. She's implicated her husband. I have to say with the, the, this particular resolution, I'm firmly in the sister's camp at this point. I like you being killed. You, the character feels satisfying to me um and it almost feels like the surprise protagonist of the story all along uh loses did you ever see that movie um fallen with denzel washington going back to relating you know writing to um, movies i might have I, I don't recall yeah so uh it's been out for so long that i feel like spoilers are appropriate um <laughs> if you want to see this movie and haven't go ahead and skip forward some undisclosed amount of time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Denzel Washington is, uh, I don't even remember what his, what his career is or anything, but he gets uh, wrapped up in a situation where uh, the, the movie starts out and a man is killed uh, by, by gas in, in the, um, the gas chamber. I don't remember there's probably a better name for it, but um, he's executed for, being a murderer. Um, and what you find out as the viewer is that he was possessed by a demon named Azazel. And as soon as this guy dies, Azazel is able to come out and the rules for him, he's kind of like a, a ghost, but he's a demon, uh, is that he can embody anybody within one cubit of where he died. Um, so he has one breath basically to get from his previous host to his next host or else he dies. Uh, and I don't, I don't remember how that's established that that's for sure what's going on, but you do see him come out of the, the character and go into somebody else. And so this whole movie is, uh, trying to chase down and kill Azazel and, and end of the film, uh, Denzel Washington goes way out into the woods. He he's a police detective because his partner is John Goodman and John Goodman, uh, it ends up getting possessed by Azazel. So that's already kind of heartbreaking. And then Denzel Washington has planned it so that he should be the only person alive when Azazel has to come out of John Goodman's body. And so he poisons a cigarette and smokes the poison cigarette and he kills John Goodman. So he dies as Azazel goes into to his body for just a moment and he's crawling and you think they beat him. 
you know, they beat the demon, he's dead. And then it ends with Azazel possessing a lynx that's in the forest. He's able to get uh-huh. to, like, <laughs> exactly. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> it's a, a total and utter defeat. Like the demon wins and 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 survives and, you know, rides off into the sunset, so to speak. And you're just like, wow, they did not see that coming. Um <laughs> That's how this feels to me. This story feels a little bit like this. You're like, okay, we're getting somewhere. We're having emotional resolution. The sisters are going to somehow reconcile, but there is straight up no reconciliation here. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Okay. So we've come to the end of this story. It's a natural ending. I think it's the first time that I've had a natural ending uh, with, with a guest going over a story. So congrats to you. Like, hooray. Um, And it gives us an opportunity to transition to your writing, your published work. Uh, Give me, give me kind of like the, the 30,000 foot overview of, of your writing for, for all of the listeners. If they love the way you tell a story, they're going to love the books and stories that you've written. Well, I mean, I've got, I've got the two so far. Um, I've got the Lady Phoenix, which is basically uh, book one um, in an episodic series. So thank Virgin River um, and how each each book goes into these characters' lives, but it keeps going, but each one can be also a standalone. Um, so the Lady Phoenix, is this one here. I'm actually okay. currently working on um, getting a new cover and getting it okay. redone um, and re Hold it up to the camera for a little bit longer um, for yeah. anybody who is watching. And for me, honestly, I just, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So to me that, and I'm, I'm, since you said you're redoing the cover, I'm getting like a suspense vibe from it and a YA it's, vibe. It's got it's, like suspense YA feel to it. The cover design does. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why I'm redoing it. Um, okay. I do love the cover. Yeah. It's but really nice. the more I look at it, the more I feel it doesn't really fit the book. Yes. It's a romantic thriller. So, I mean, the girl running through the woods, yeah, that does that fit, but the whole, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, um, the girl running through the woods kind of does fit, but then you've got like, you know, the font, which is more of like, uh, almost like a fantasy. Yes, it is. Um, so it just doesn't really fit. I'm going to keep the color theme. Um, mm-hmm. but I found another cover for book two nice. that I really love. So I'm going to get that same artist to kind of do the whole series in that same theme. Excellent. It's fantastic to find an artist yeah, that you like working so with. I'm, I'm really excited about it. This, Very this cool. story, um, it might it might have been done a million times it, in different ways um thinking are. so again going back to uh virgin river think virgin river kind of meets um sleeping with the enemy with a twist or okay and <laughs> um so hadley phoenix is our mc um and she's escaped basically death at the hands of her her tormentor i don't want to say too much yeah. um and this is like a start over kind of book. Mm. She's going to this undisclosed little town that she finds and for a fresh start with her two-year-old son, Jackson. Mm. Um, but then everything kind of that she left behind kind of starts filtering into her new life. And she realizes that she might not be as safe as she thought she was. Yeah. Um, and then we have Jonah Sterling, who is the the love interest in the male MC. He's the sheriff of this little town. Um, and he's got his own past, his own demons um, that he's still trying to overcome from something really bad that happened to him five years ago. 
But then obviously it's a romance as well. So they meet, um, fall in love, blah, blah, blah. It's a happy ending because of the romance aspect of the book. Mm-hmm. It's a guaranteed ATA in all of these. So gotcha. Happy <laughs> ever after. Uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm the, 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 the exact opposite. I have to force myself to end a book, uh, with even like a, a, a hint of happiness. I don't know why. And it may change just naturally over time, but I always want to end with like, um, the ultimate sacrifice or death or something like that <laughs> probably tells you something. But you're not a romance writer. I'm definitely not a romance writer. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I do, I do think I was exploring. Um, so quickest way down this rabbit hole is I had a guest on a podcast named Robin Sullivan and her husband, Michael J. Sullivan. Um, and they mentioned, um, well, I'm losing his name now, but he's kind of famous for talking about discovering your why or operating from your why. Um, and so I, I spent a lot of time really thinking about why am I writing fiction? What do I like? Why do I do this? And I do realize that I'm fascinated by by secret love stories. Um, I, I really like exploring what it's like to be in love with somebody and that person not knowing um, I, whether that was formative in my life or not. I, I don't necessarily know, but I go back to it over and over and over again, or just like secret love is interesting to me. That's um, a really cool concept. I like that. Yeah, it's, it is a concept. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so you've got two books out. They're both in. Um, they're they're connected but standalone. No, so the Lady no. Phoenix is, okay. the second book to that is not out yet. I've um, ah, okay, thank you. I'm about I'm about sixty percent done writing the first draft. Okay, um, so I'm hoping to have the second version of the Lady Phoenix out by I would say March, and I would like to have uh, book two, which is Out of the Flames. Um, published on may 31st which is the anniversary of the lady phoenix and also the date that the book starts in the book that's really so i'm i'm hoping i don't know if it's going to happen or not at this point but Mm -hmm. that's that's my ultimate goal the second book that i have out right now is just the one that i recently put out Mm -hmm. what two weeks ago now two three weeks ago um which is a nonfiction, and it's this one i can't see there we go. All, yeah, all kinds. Um, okay. All kinds of happy little things. A probably flawed guide to creating happiness. Awesome. That's cool. So you, I, I didn't, I, and I, this is my own fault for not researching better, but I did not realize you had written anything in, in nonfiction. So uh, I'm really curious what drove you to write the book. Um, um, definitely give a pitch. Well, one. this one actually, <laughs> I used to write on Medium. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar yeah, I, n- not not with your writing on Medium, but generally speaking. I don't I'm- have it on there anymore. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, I was on there from June, I think, of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would write all these like self-love, self-help articles. Okay. And then when the platform changed a lot, in my opinion, not for the better, um, I decided I didn't want to be on there anymore. And But yeah. I, d- I had all this work that I had done. And okay, nice. I didn't want it to go to waste. It was sitting in my Google Drive collecting you know, virtual dust. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, what can I do with these? I don't want to just put them on a blog. I, I want to do something special because they meant a lot to me. So I yeah. thought, why not turn them into chapters? Yeah. They're short chapters. Cause I mean, the articles mm-hmm. or pieces, whatever you want to call them, they weren't that long, yeah. but I thought, why not turn them into chapters, put them in okay. some kind of order that makes sense mm-hmm. and turn it, turn it into 
um, the loathed self-help book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what I did, but I did it in a way that it's kind of interactive. At the end of each chapter, I have a section where it's kind of like a, either a journaling or an exercise where people can actually write inside the book. Very I don't cool. know if you can focus on that. I saw it for just a moment. And then yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. That's not really working. cool. It's okay. But it's basically um, a journalist section that has to do with the chapter they've just read. And nice. they can work through certain emotional yeah. barriers or issues that they're facing. Okay. So I want to just take a, a moment to stop here because I, I think that you will either be able to empathize, sympathize, or relate to um, my first book, The Seven Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists, just came out. Um, Which is actually I, coming in the mail in a couple oh, of days. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope you I hope you enjoy it. What I wanna what I wanna say is there's I think a temptation for me to really chase after the fact that nonfiction has hand in hand with it the ability to offer classes and courses and different kinds of things where you can quote unquote monetize uh your quote unquote expertise and teach people to do things and and that can be a living for you. And so I think that there's like, there's an appeal to that idea, but every time I ever approached it, I felt there's something missing. I haven't actually sold a million books or found a million readers. And so I can only go so far. I can, I can say it's true to have the right mindset to do this. But if I, if I really start to try to teach people, I think I've walked into some waters. I'm not particularly comfortable swimming in from an ethical standpoint, your happiness book, obviously is a totally different thing. Happiness is a thing that you can have or not have. And if you feel like in your life that you found happiness and people have said to you, you're really good at helping me to see a happier side of life. Um, is that something that you would ever consider doing any kind of courses or anything like that? Uh, is that been a temptation for you? Um, how much does this whole thing resonate with you? I mean, I have thought about it. Um, but with this particular book, um, even though it is about happiness and and finding it, I, I think I would almost feel like a hypocrite <laughs> mm. if I were to try to teach people on an ongoing basis how mm. to, I mean, more than this this book. I mean, yeah. it's a book people can take it or leave it, right? Mm. But if you're paying for a course, you want results. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do have moments of happiness like everybody, but mm -hmm. I'm not quite at the point where I want to be. Um, yeah. So for me to to try and, and get money from somebody to teach them something that I don't actually have myself um, yeah. <laughs> might be hypocritical. And I, I don't think I could live with yeah. myself if I tried to do that. And at least not yeah. right now, maybe one one day down the line, if if I get to that point where I'm confident enough and in my own happiness, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And if I am able to actually um, map out how I got there, mm -hmm. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I understand where you're coming from. And so that, that it sounds to me like you do uh, resonate with my feeling of of like, I can't necessarily teach what I have not achieved. Um, it's just sad to see it out there. I have really, as I've entered this space, I've seen so many people. In fact, I've been victim to things where I've paid money to learn things and realized that what I paid money for didn't really produce results. And I paid a, a fairly good chunk of, of cash. Um I'm serious about this. I want to be a full-time author. We may cut all of this, by the way. It's, it's, I'm really focusing on the reader right now, and this is a writer <laughs> conversation. But uh, I, I think it's worth saying that the whole industry has created a world where uh, it's difficult for us to make a living at something that in any other way you could uh, 
be well paid. So I think so. Yeah, I think so. If we have if you have the right niche and the right the right expertise and you're actually confident in that expertise. Like I don't mm-hmm. I've never gone to school to be a psychologist or yeah. you know, I I'm not a medical professional by any means. And I, I repeat that quite often in this book because we do touch a lot on on mental health and I'm not a professional. I, I can only go by my own personal experience or the experiences of people that are around me who have talked about it. Yeah. But I don't I, I don't feel comfortable offering actual physical not physical um medical advice. And absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely go to their doctor if they're feeling <laughs> yes. you know <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely, definitely. One thing I have discovered, and I think that this is this is true. Some people will hate me for saying it, but I would challenge you to uh, to actually find evidence to the contrary. Um, the way to make an impact in any industry, whether it's through self help, medical, or authors, is to spend money on advertising. It's like, unfortunately, it's the only way that it can be done. And so, I've been then, looking at it. <laughs> then it becomes the equation of can I advertise profitably or how long can I not be profitable um, before I have to become profitable? Because, yeah, I mean, you can build a 20,000 person following on Twitter. You can go on TikTok and sell a thousand books with a, a viral TikTok. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Video. But um you can't create lasting results unless you pay to advertise and you have a regular disciplined way of advertising and which means you have to advertise in such a way that you're reaching the right people it's it's a conundrum but it seems to be true um and and the major mass publishers the traditional publishers all know this and yet they don't spend money to advertise the people that they publish it's a really strange setup only like the top one percent get advertising stephen king at this point could tweet that he has a new book coming out and he would move so many copies it would be stupid and yet they continue to advertise for him coke spent I think $7 billion in advertising last year, if I remember right, Coca-Cola, um, you wouldn't think that they'd have to advertise. So, but if they're doing it, I kind of think we have to do it. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's just finding that that balance. I mean, most of us, especially indies, I mean, right. we're not wealthy. <laughs> right. You know, we, most of us still have day jobs. Um, not mm-hmm. all of us. Some of us yeah. are lucky. I'm not yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's, I mean, that's the ultimate goal and, and to dream about something and to want something so badly that you can taste it, but not being able to grasp it mm-hmm. because of financial reasons, like, yeah. like trying to advertise and spend money that you might not have on mm-hmm. advertising. Absolutely. It's like a catch 22, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is an absolutely necessary thing yeah. to, to get your, your book out there and to get yourself out there um, and without advertising, you only have, you know, an, a 280 character <laughs> tweet to try and, and sell yourself mm-hmm. and hope that people will, will see it. Yeah. And yep. even like you were saying, the the big publishers, um, I think there's still a misconce- misconception out there um, with people who are querying, um, thinking that these publishers are going to do all that for them. And it's just, just mm-hmm. not the case. You still have to do the marketing. Yeah. Um, you still have to sell yourself. You still have to sell your book. They're only going to do very minimal yeah. of it for you. Yes. You're going to get your book professionally edited. You don't have to pay for that, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's oh, that balance there and you still have to do the work. Yeah. And and what you just said, I, I think is more, um, uh, 
unfortunately, you have to pay dearly for it. Uh, if you if you don't pay up front for your editing, you pay on the back end for editing. Um, let's uh, let's just let's just uh, do a little thought experiment, and it makes sense for Stephen King. But since I always have to mention him on my podcast, suppose that he self published his book with his machine right now. How much money he could take? He could pay a million dollars for an editor to go through that book and edit it in ways that it's never been edited before. He can pay the best artist in the world to do his cover, things that we have to do, um, and then start an advertising budget for himself to let people know it's out. He would take home um, about 90% more profit from those efforts than he does uh, publishing through a major publisher because he only gets 5% of the royalties of his books. He probably has a better contract at this point than most authors, but um, generally speaking, you pay dearly if you don't pay for editing up front. Because mm-hmm. they are taking you have that home. commission, yeah, yeah. You share the profits, and versus mm-hmm. if if you're um, self-publishing, yeah. you get a lot more of the profit. I mean, yeah. like Amazon, they will still take, mm-hmm. they'll still take a Between percentage, obviously, because they have to print it for you. It's print on demand, but mm-hmm. the 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 amount that you get back from from Amazon, um, even versus Ingram Ingram Spark, mm-hmm. is quite different. Like I get a lot more. Mm-hmm. through my Amazon sales than I do my, my IG sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and there, there are ways I think around this that I'm researching right now. I'm, I'm fascinated with the idea of self-fulfillment and not leaning on Amazon. And I'm, I'm doing a lot to figure out how to do that, to launch my novels because mm-hmm. um, you have to sell a lot fewer copies to make a living, which means that you can advertise more aggressively. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working on trying to hack that because it's, it's quite challenging. Um, and, but it's also difficult to, to be a business owner and you are a business owner if you're a self publishing author. And I think that a lot of people don't necessarily know that, but now we're kind of traveling into waters that a lot of other people do. And, and, uh, I want to respect your time. So where do you want listeners to find and viewers where do you want listeners and viewers to find you uh when they want to buy your books and and engage with you more off of this podcast well i mean there's four ways obviously you can find me on twitter it's uh jwillows underscore author um i have my website which uh has just been updated yesterday so i'm awesome. really happy with that it's just julietwillows.com and then i have a new blog that i just started um last week it is, oof, it's linked in my bio on Twitter. Okay. I can't think of the name right now. Um, and also my, my newsletter. Um, I put out a newsletter every 15th of the month. Awesome. Um, you can sign up on my website. There's um, two two spots on the website where you can sign up or you can DM me your email address on Twitter. <laughs> um, we'll be happy to add you to it. And that's, I don't spam people. I mean, there's one email a month and unsubscribe anytime and I don't share it. Um I hate spam. So yeah, awesome. probably the four places I do have also um, um, Instagram and, and Facebook, but I am not as active on there. All right. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't do much on either of those platforms either. Well, very good. It's been lovely having you on the show. The story was so much fun. It went places <laughs> I never would have expected. I thought it was going to be really claustrophobic and you embodied it with so much tension. It was a lot of fun to, to tell I'm the story with it. you. <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers, because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?